With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, everybody? Wes Mitchell here, Chris Clark, GC Live, coming at you on Tuesday of the bye week. And for the show here on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and, of course, on all the major podcast platforms, we are brought to you by AffordableMedicalUSA.com, home of the game day chair. And, uh, Chris, let's go ahead and uh, tell everybody about the game day chair and how they can get hooked up with one, maybe just in time. If, if you go ahead and take care of business this week, you maybe can get you one just in time for the Texas A&M game next Saturday. Yeah, if you're not going to be in the stands, which, of course, limited seating, but you can have – an unlimited seating experience if you get the game day chair and take it to your house, living room, your man cave. Go to affordablemedicalusa.com if you want more information on the game day chair. Search for the Maxi Comfort Cloud with Twilight. You can see pictures. You can see uh, all the features that it has, power pillow, lumbar support. Super comfortable, super roomy chair, a variety of positions, a lay flat position, TV watching, lounge. So complete your sort of game day watching experience and ensemble uh, by getting yourself the game day chair. Five games left this season, NFL games left, plenty of Netflix to watch at any time. For those of you who have that, let's make sure you check those guys out. We appreciate their support of the show, so make sure that you go support them and check out the game day chair. Does, does anybody does anybody not have Netflix these days? Like I, I feel like – I don't even know if you have to make that disclaimer. Like, I think everybody has some type of streaming device or streaming network, I should say. There's like a thousand of them now. So, um, for games, and it's, dude, it seems like there's games on all the time now. Like, the, cause the NFL games get moved around, um, due to COVID and contact tracing and all that. There, there's always something right now as far as sports go. Uh, you're going to have the Masters in November, which, uh, will be, Wild will be different, but uh, and did, did y'all see co- so college game day is going to be live from the Masters? Um, the, the response to that has been like, I wondered if there would be some people who would get a little sort of high and mighty about college football, you know, coming in on the Masters territory. But most of the response, Chris, I've seen was pretty uh, positive. Yeah, it was. It is the Masters, one of those sort of prestigious events, and people, um, you know, tend to like to leave it how it is, you know, uh, for better or worse. And so, uh, obviously, it's a it's a great event. I still have not, I'm ashamed to admit, made it out there this year. Actually, I was in line through a connection to probably get tickets. My wife has been to a practice round. Um, I was in line to get tickets. And then all this happened. 2020 happened. 2020 hit. So I'm not going. Uh, but yeah, college game day being there is really is definitely going to be interesting. I, I think it's a pretty cool idea. Just my personal preference, personal opinion. Well, well, you generally do not have um, 
if y'all bear with me, I'm still trying to get all of our links up because, like I said, I was running late today. Um, it, it's kind of one of those things, man, where how many opportunities do you actually have to have the Masters during college football season? So, right. you know, most years it, it's not happening. So you kind of take advantage. It, it is year 2020. Things are crazy. We all know that. Things are weird. It is what it is. I I tend to like it. I think it's cool. Um, it'll be because man, ga- game day has really had so many. They've been to so many venues now. It's like, how many more firsts are there? So now I, I feel like they're, you know, they can go to Alabama a hundred times. They can yeah. go to Georgia a hundred times. You know, they've they've even been. I remember when game day came to South Carolina the very first time. In two thousand one, when South Carolina played Florida, and it was a huge deal, and it's still a big deal if you get game day, but it's not. It's not like uh, there's not many firsts left for game day. So, the Masters, though, that that's a true first. So that, that's that's pretty cool. Um, all right, so this week it's going to be a little different. Obviously, we're going to um, sort of. We won't have a game to talk about this week, so much more big picture. We're working on some guests. Today we got Will Helms, who uh, does a really good job on our site, on GamecockCentral.com, giving a more analytical approach to the game. He's going to come on, and uh, for you mathematical uh, stat nerds, um, Will Helms will be on here to educate us on some of that stuff. He's going to be on uh, about eight minutes or so at 2.15. Working on Eric Kimry at some point this week, Perry Orth at some point this week, and hopefully at least one more guest. So we'll, we'll have plenty of stuff to uh, to talk about um, and, and just sort of take a more big-picture approach with no game. Then next week, we'll sort of circle back. We'll start focusing on Texas A&M. We'll have a Texas A&M guest or two, and, and then we'll go from there. But uh, at any point this week, if you have questions, be sure to throw them in the chat. And I would say for me, Chris, at some point today, and we'll probably go ahead and and try to get um, Helms in here, then we'll go into more detail after. But I want to get into biggest surprises so far, both positive, negative. What has played out the way we thought it would? What has played out the way we absolutely did not expect? And – it's very – I mean, I think we knew the season was going to go really, really fast with just 10 games. But, dude, because they always go fast. But we're we're at the halfway point, uh, which is mind-blowing to me. There's already been five games. South Carolina obviously sitting at two and three. Um, you know, I was looking on Twitter today. Pearson Fowler had a – his poll today was um, at two and three. Does that accurately – uh, sort of portray where South Carolina is as a football program right now. Um, and I would say yes. I feel like it, if you look at the if you look at the stats, in most cases, Colin Taylor has a uh, sort of where does South Carolina fall in the SEC stat-wise article up right now. If you look at it, South Carolina's – upper tier in a few things, bottom tier in a few things. 
But for the most part, they're just right there in the middle. And I think it's kind of one of those things right now that there is a little bit of a lull within the fan base coming off of this disappointing loss. But as much as South Carolina is inconsistent right now from game to game, I feel like they're sort of consistently kind of in the middle as far as what I think this team is right now compared to other SEC teams. Yeah, I mean, they, they so they've been <laughs> – what, what you've seen from this team on offense – it is a fairly consistent performance. They put on they, they put up more points against Vanderbilt, which, you know, there are reasons for that, right? Offensively, they've everybody talks about this identity. Yeah, I have an idea. You know, I think and I've gone into this. I'm not anybody who wants to label an offense or a team as having an identity is totally fine. I'm not poking fun of it. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Your identity needs to be to score points on offense. However you get there. You know, I mean, you, you can do it by passing predominantly. You can do it by running. You do it by being balanced. We've seen a bunch of teams get it done in a variety of ways. Identity needs to be to score points. So they've, I think they've been more consistent offensively. There hadn't been a game this year where they've fallen off a cliff offensively yet. You know, even the LSU game, they left, left points on the table a lot. You know, um, they made mistakes a lot. But they still did what they've done best this year, the most consistent area of this team running the football. Um, at the same time, they've been consistently inconsistent and consistently poor in a few areas. Even when it hadn't shown up as much, we talked about this a lot, playing the run. It didn't show up as much against Vanderbilt because, quite frankly, they don't really have the horses to make you pay for it. But Vanderbilt popped off a few eight-yard runs, and you go, ooh. This isn't good. We saw that against Tennessee. We saw Florida make some explosive plays. Uh, we saw, uh, t- I mentioned Tennessee did it, saw it against Auburn, saw it again against LSU. Too many chain movers on the first down. I think that the thing that South Carolina sort of bucked the trend of is they weren't good on third downs against LSU. Um, we went into the reasons for that yesterday. But, yeah, it's been, you know, I, I just think – this team has been what it is. The, the issues that we've seen in every game, whether positive or negative, have honestly been pretty consistent. You know, there were some more outliers. You know, Parker White struggling, for instance. I mean, we haven't seen that. But we've seen some mishit kicks on kickoffs, for instance. We've seen some miscues on special teams. We've seen explosive plays and not playing the run very well defensively. And we've seen an offense that has run the ball very well and doesn't create enough explosive plays. So I don't know if I, you know, that was maybe a little bit more than you wanted at this point, but um, I I just think this team, that's sort of what we've seen through the first half of the season. There's some things that they've got to continue to do better. If they're going to find some wins to do what they do well, continue that, get better at some areas. And then there's obviously some things that they've got to clean up on this team to give them an opportunity in the back half. Man, I, I think you you look – and by the way, all right, so I'm going to go ahead and address some comments here because they're, they're flying in, mostly from Facebook. But some of them I, I really strongly disagree with, um, one of them being change the quarterback. That's the biggest issue. I don't, I don't think quarterback play is the top five biggest issues on this team. I, I really don't. Was, was quarterback play – and we as media and – 
sports fans all tend to remember what we just witnessed, the last game we saw. And I don't think Colin Hill was great against LSU. I'm not here to defend that and try and make you see something you didn't see. Could have played better, needed to play better. Um, But to say quarterback is the biggest issue, um, I just cannot agree with at all. Um, could, Could it be better? Yes. But as far as the issues South Carolina is having as a team, I don't think it's top five. Um, Steve, who apparently says we shouldn't even talk about the team anymore, which that that's not going to happen because <laughs> we we have a job. I want to keep collecting my paychecks, honestly. So we're going to keep talking about the team. But he says go back to App State game last year. It's like watching paint dry, and I believe is a continuation of his thought from earlier that everything looks the same as last year, which I would I would tend to say that the latter five to six games of last year. Um, the issue with South Carolina was that they absolutely did not move the football on offense. Three and out after three and out after three and out. Um, which, if you had told me that South Carolina's offense was going to be able to do some of the things um, that they have been able to do this year, just – if you had blindly had told me that in August, I would have said, "Man, this team, this team may be at least three and two, as opposed to two and three. If you had just given me a broad view of what the offense would be, if you had told me that Kevin Harris uh, would be where he is right now, um, I, I think I would have said, "Man, that this team has a chance to be pretty good." So th- that's a slight tease for what we're going to get into after we talk to Will Helms, which is going to be, like I said, surprises. Um, and and Raphael's response is what with about 38 T's. Um, I mean, how, how can, how can anybody look at this team and say quarterback is the biggest issue? Like, I, I'm not even saying I'm, I'm in no way saying quarterback play is perfect. Um, or, and I never even said it was like really, really good. But and th- there's no there's no way I look at this team and say that's the biggest issue. But we'll get to all that um, here in a second. We're gonna be joined now. Um, Will, when you got settled in there, give me a thumbs up, and I'll I'll uh, all right. Will is here. He is rolling in with us here on GC Live. We've got Will Helms, GamecockCentral.com writer and our analytics guy will what's going on man how you guys doing good man um obviously still talking a bit about lsu um breaking down that game and then we've sort of been using this week that we're gonna use this week to essentially talk some some big picture stuff and uh we're, we're at the midway point right you know bye week comes right in the middle of the season for south carolina it's a really good time to sort of assess, you know, and reassess um, what we know about this team and what we think about this team. So, Will, let, let's start with, with LSU, man. Uh, I know um, I'm sure you've started diving into some of the analytics. I've seen some of your tweets. Um, I know you sort of said let, if you broke it down into one thing, um, if fans wanted one reason for this loss, 
you pointed to um, sort of the pass rush efficiency in which LSU is putting pressure on Colin Hill, and then the opposite being um, South Carolina's inability to get to T.J. Finley. So do you want to sort of dive into that a little bit and, and what you saw in that just from an analytical standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yesterday I saw a tweet that it may have been this morning. I don't remember. Um, that was just asking, like, if you were to break down the game of football into three stats to say who's going to win the game, what are those three stats? And I looked at, like, yards per play, um, points per scoring opportunity, and pressure rates. And over the course of the season, South Carolina has been pretty good with the pressure rate, um, getting pressure on the quarterback, even if they're not getting the sacks. Um, they've been pretty consistent at getting to the quarterback until Saturday. Um, TJ Finley, I believe, had like 22 dropbacks, and South Carolina even got pressure on him, um, not not sacks, just got to him uh, three times, and only one of those times I hit him. Um, so you're talking about a freshman, you're trying to rattle him, you're trying to um, make him pay for, you know, I guess in his first start, and you hit him one time in 22 dropbacks. They basically just let him step back and throw it wherever he wanted to. And with LSU's wide receivers, it doesn't matter how good your secondary is. You've got to be able to get to the quarterback because if he's got five seconds to find a guy, he's going to find somebody. Yeah, well, so one thing I noticed going to the other side with Colin Hill, maybe jumping ahead a little bit, but I wanted to make sure I got this one in. Looking over some of the PFF numbers, all right, one thing that we we saw just with our eyes was that LSU got some pressure and some sacks on Colin Hill that put South Carolina behind the chains, right, in terms of the sacks. Six sacks, I think, in the game. What what do you see from a statistical standpoint that stands out to me? Because one thing that I saw is that LSU rarely blitzed. I mean, they rarely had to blitz. And it seemed like, not that I put a timer on it, but a lot of times it was coverage sacks. A lot of times it was holding the ball too long. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, sacks are more of a quarterback stat than people give um, credit for. We always think about the offensive line and think about um, you know, the offensive line gave up a pressure there, and that's what caused a sack. But if you look through the NFL, and I just use the NFL because your quarterbacks and your offensive line are a little bit more consistent, um, it's consistently the same quarterbacks at the top of the league in sack rate. Um, ironically, some of those quarterbacks are some of the best in the league. Deshaun Watson's up there. Um Russell Wilson's up there, but consistently year in and year out, those are the guys that are having the most sacks, even if the offensive line is completely revamped. And I think we saw that a lot Saturday of, um, I think there were a couple sacks that just quick pressures that, you know, Colin Hill couldn't get the ball out or maybe a deep, uh, maybe a deep option or, um, you know, kind of a two man route that um, LSU was still able to get pressure. Hill didn't have a lot of, a lot of time, but I saw two or three in particular where it just looked like, Colin Hill needed to either bail out of the pocket and, um, you know, find somebody or throw it away or something like that, or just kind of see if he could throw it into coverage because South Carolina had guys running open all night. Um, I think on one of them, he had Shy Smith in the end zone and one-on-one coverage. Um, I'm taking that risk. I'm not taking a sack there. Um, I'm going to put him in the end zone and let Shy Smith go make a play because I think that was an option there. And there were a couple of times we saw um, Colin Hill, for whatever reason, just kind of, you know, pump fake or, or maybe double clutch and not really attack the coverage like he could have, I think. Well, and I, I think uh, if you sort of look at how this game played out, um, LSU, as, as much talent as they have on defense, continues to struggle down the field in, in covering plays vertically, I feel like. And even 
I mean, you had a couple of instances where South Carolina did sort of force the issue and put the ball down the field, and you maybe don't have a completion, but you get a PI. So I think there's probably something to be said for forcing, you know, LSU to to prove in those one-on-one situations. Not only can they, uh, you know, cover you and keep you from completing the pass, but can they cover you without interfering with you? Because it seemed like uh, their DBs weren't very patient down the field. They sort of – I would say, much like we've seen from South Carolina's DBs at times, um, didn't show the patience when the ball is in the air to sort of complete the play, but they basically hit the Carolina receiver. You get a PI call down the field, and you got a free 15 and a free first down. So probably a, a strong case for South Carolina being more aggressive in, in some of those situations. I, I, so I, I remember, Will, this was a random special teams conversation with Coleman Hutzler when he was here. And – he said basically like there's a if you block a punt in a game, there's like a 90 percent chance that, that you're going to win that game. Um, and I'm, I'm getting to a point here. But do you know, statistically, is there any correlation? I, I got to imagine if you have a pick six in a game or if you have a kickoff return for touchdown in a game, um, you probably especially the pick six, I got to imagine. If you create a pick six, you win a, a lot of those games. But I can't imagine to, – to me, man, if you have a pick six on your side and you give up a kickoff return for touchdown, almost all the other stuff um, almost becomes noise. Like if you're playing a really good team like LSU, or at least a talented team, I probably should say more accurately, you're not going to win many games when you give up 14 points on – you know, combined on with your own offense and special teams on the field. Yeah, absolutely. So the numbers at least that I've got are um, turnovers are the least predictable number you can possibly find. Um, that's why there's not really year after year. This team is so much better. I think um, it was a conversation maybe or an article or something I had maybe two or three years ago about – when we're looking at regression, what are we looking at to say, okay, can this team repeat this or is this, um, you know, destined to be a better year or worse year or something like that. And two or three years ago, whatever year that South Carolina went seven and five and um, it was looking really good. They beat uh, Michigan in the bowl game. They had an absurd amount of turnovers um, and several, or I guess takeaways and several of those ended up being, being touchdowns and, Year after year, you can't rely on winning the turnover battle. We say it's a key and you want to be able to do that. But unless you've just got an elite defensive line that's going to put pressure on the quarterback every play, that's not going to happen. Um, And so if you're relying on turnovers to win, um, that is is not really predictable, I guess. And so the flip side of that is when you do get a turnover, you can't really predict that's going to happen. You can't really predict that you're going to have a, a pick six but it takes a game that on paper was kind of evenly matched. Um, and it t- completely flips that around. You think about those 14 points of, um, you know, even if LSU was moving the ball, the quarterback doesn't even have to touch the ball and they score 14 points. And so you take those two away and it's a one possession, a two possession game. You see maybe South Carolina kicks one less field goal in that position um, you know, maybe they're a little bit more aggressive on offense there. It's a completely different game if you don't have one of those things happen. And then you have two of those happen, and there's just no way to win. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, uh, you know, you look at 
South Carolina being down 21 points at the half. You know, they, they come out, they score on the first possession. Now it's a two-touchdown game. And you get the feeling that maybe they can continue – they can stay in it if they can continue moving the ball, if they can continue scoring. Um, and then maybe you play better. We have seen some instances in which South Carolina's cleaned some things up defensively in the second half of games this year and played better offensively. So you would sort of have to project and rely on that, but maybe at that point things change. Well, they come out and score. They cut it to two scores, two touchdowns, and then the kick return for a touchdown happens. It's right back to a three-score game. So like you said, Will, totally changes it. South Carolina, the interception they got, Israel Mukwamu in the defense had – a little bit of an opportunity to actually take that one all the way back. Didn't get that done, although it's still a big play. Maybe an opportunity, not super, super close, and had to settle for a field goal there. So, you know, another swing there. Here's something I wanted to, I wanted to go to defense, um, or stay on defense, rather, since I was just talking about it. A couple guys that you mentioned on the Insiders Forum in your analytics recap that you do every week. Jamar Brown, you know, returning to his first significant action on defense this year. And Ernest Jones, you rolled out a stat just about how good he has been this year. Eyeball test shows us he's, he's been really good, and the stat sheet showed us he had, what, 19 tackles. But tell us a little bit about those guys. I think what it kind of does is it shows you the importance of defense being more of a team game than offense. Um, if you've got one or two guys on offense that are just so much better than everybody else, the rest of your offense can be average, and you're going to be great. Um South Carolina quietly has the two best tacklers in the country on their team in uh, Ernest Jones and Jamie Robinson. Last year, Jamie Robinson was the best um, tackling uh, secondary player in the country. This year, he's missed one tackle. Um, just an elite, elite tackler. Um, you know, fairly good. But if you've got other guys that can't tackle, it really doesn't matter. Um, and I, I think we see that a lot this year with South Carolina of, of you know, J.C. Horn throughout his career has been awesome. Um, the numbers against him are, it would be basically if Sam Darnold were to throw more picks, um, and those are the numbers you're looking at when you're throwing at um, J.C. Horn as far as, like, NFL passer rating and things like that. But it doesn't matter if you can't guard across from him. Um, and on the other side of the field, and the same thing happened um, Saturday. You've got, you know, guys here and there that are quietly superstars on defense, um, but if you don't have across the board guys that can get it done, it's really difficult to put together, you know, three or four stops in a row, especially with offenses as good as they are right now. And I think that's what South Carolina is running into is they just don't have the consistency on defense that they would need to be able to hold teams consistently under, you know, 24 points a game. Got a question here from uh, Craig. Will Craig is one of our loyal watchers and listeners here on the show. Um, he says, can you ask Will if he thinks Ernest is playing himself potentially into a top two-round draft pick in the future? So on this one, I would say probably not, just because of his, I guess, his numbers that he's going to uh, put out. He's not going to test well compared to um, other guys that might be looking as, you know, top two, top three round uh, linebackers. He's not going to put up the, the 40 time that teams are looking for. He's not going to, um, I don't think he's going to put up a lot of the strength numbers that some teams are looking for, um, but he's a football player. And so I think he's definitely a, you know, borderline day two guy, maybe a day three guy in the draft. But I think those numbers are, you know, the NFL teams are looking for, I think are going to elude him a little bit 
Um, but that doesn't mean he won't have a productive year, uh, a productive career in the NFL, because I think he's exactly what teams are looking for in terms of a linebacker that can come in, can play multiple positions, can guard multiple positions, and um, can especially not miss tackles. So here's another one that, that I'm going to dig out of your uh, analytics recap. Give us the, if you remember it, the Kevion Mullins stat. Is this right? What you rolled out about his receiving yards? I'm not saying it's wrong, but I, I mean, I, I, it's like a rhetorical question. Very surprising. As, as far as I can tell, the last player to have over, the last freshman to have over 100 receiving yards in a game was Brian Edwards in his debut um, against Vanderbilt. Um, I looked, Shy Smith never had that many. Um, or Trey Smith never had that many in a game. Um, both of those were pretty consistent across the freshman year. Um, but I don't remember them having one game, at least I could find, um, where a freshman had that many receiving yards. Really interesting. Jalen Brooks, also 40 snaps, three targets. Did get his first catch, drew a PI, I think. Um, and going back earlier, I forgot to hit this, Will. Ernest Jones, the stat that you rolled out, the PFF tackling grade, a 90 tackling grade, which leads all Power 5 linebackers in the country. So that's pretty good stuff. Wes, sorry about that. I stole your time. No, you're good, man. Um, all right, so I think we all know quarterback position. All right, let, let's start Let's start to go big picture here, man. Um, quarterback position is always – the focus, if you win, you know, they get the credit. If you lose, they uh, take the blame. The The chat this entire show so far has been people uh, discussing quarterback. Um, big picture, obviously, there's a lot Colin Hill probably wants back from the game on Saturday. I don't think anybody's going to sit here and try to convince you that, that he played some great game on Saturday. Um, I don't think Colin would try to convince you of that. But so far this season, um, totality of the five games, what, what's your assessment of Colin Hill, you know, both personally and then as far as – I know you lean on uh, PFF and SEC StatCat and all those. If you just take the totality of everything, where are you on, on Colin Hill and where does he rank as far as where, – where does quarterback play rank as far as the biggest reasons that South Carolina – has lost three games so far this year. I think the, the thing, I guess, if I were to give kind of a one-liner on what I, I think Colin Hill's season has been, is I think that Colin Hill is better than Colin Hill thinks he is. Um, he's been one of the top quarterbacks as far as deep, uh, deep accuracy, um, in general, just uh, delivering accurate passes, um, being able to do that kind of stuff. And yet he ranks next to last in the SEC in average depth of target as far as how far he's throwing it on each particular pass. Um, a lot of that is South Carolina runs a lot of screen passes. That is going to influence that. But he is he's thrown, I think, the fourth most passes in the SEC and is like ninth or tenth in the amount of deep passes he's thrown. But he's been accurate on them. And so whether that's a lack of timing or a lack of time to be able to throw it, whether it's he doesn't think guys are open downfield, Whatever, when he does throw the ball downfield, it works most of the time. Um, he's drew a couple pass interferences um, throwing down the field. He delivered accurate passes to uh, Kevion Mullins the other day. He had one to Nick Muse last week. Um, he's just not throwing it, I think, 
as much or as confidently as he should be given how he's played this year. Um, as far as reasons, South Carolina is two and three. I think they played um, two really good teams. Um, I think LSU is a better team than people are giving them credit for. Uh, they lost 20 starters from last year, um, but they have the coaching. They've got the talent. And, it, you know, I think that they'll be better going forward. And then you play Florida. Florida's a wash. That's the best offense they're going to face all season. Um, so I think a lot of it is the defense is not quite as good as people thought they would be. Um, but Colin Hill's been good. Um, and I don't know that making a quarterback change, unless you have a guy like, I guess, Luke Doty, if he were to come out and just light it up with his legs, I don't see a quarterback change doing really anything to help South Carolina going forward. Well, last one that I've got for you, um, want to go to the running game. There's some discussion on it before you came on. And I think from a schematic stylistic standpoint, we're going to talk about that some later in the show, but, from a statistical sort of analysis standpoint, obviously there were some times last season where South Carolina was good in the run game. We remember early in the year when we were all talking about pin and pull, talking about Rico Dowdle, talking about Tavian Feaster. They lose those guys. You lose Marshawn Lloyd before the season. It's Kevin Harris, Deshaun Fenwick. We all know that those guys have surpassed expectations, particularly Harris, but what have you seen in the run game statistically from this Carolina team? And if you have it in front of you or in your mind, sort of how does it compare to maybe the same point last year or all of last year? So I think one thing that's um, has surprised me, I guess, in the run game is how much South Carolina is running power. Um, and when we say power, we mean a lead blocker of some sort. We knew we'd see a lot of it with Mike Bobo. He loves his his fullbacks. He loves his tight ends. Um, kind of style offense. But as far as having an offensive lineman pull or a run, or a fullback lead the way or something like that, South Carolina is running that at a higher level or I guess a higher clip um, as a yards per attempt and um, a higher frequency than any other team in the SEC other than Auburn. Um, and so that surprised me a little bit. I think we would see a little bit of it, but I guess the frequency with, South, with which South Carolina is running it um, has been impressive to me. Um, I think the other thing is that Kevin Harris has been great. Um, specifically after contact. Um, he does a really, really good job of, I think, maintaining speed through arm tackles. Um, everybody can break arm tackles, but I think the way that he stays at full speed when he's running through a tackle has been really helpful to South Carolina this year because it allows him to to get to that second level, to get to that third level, um, and continue to run. He's broken – I mean, I cannot remember the last time we saw um, running backs you know, break this many – long runs um i mean thinking even back to marcus Lattimore, marcus Lattimore would have you know a ton of those eight to ten yard runs and he would drag guys but even he wasn't running you know 20 30 yards with as much frequency as um you know as kevin harris is i think he's got a 20 yard run in every game this season um which to me is just really really impressive with how he he's run the ball like that Good stuff as always will um i'll i'll leave the last um answer here completely open-ended to you um is there anything we have not covered or anything that you feel like the people need to know um either big picture from the the first four games or, or just moving forward i mean whatever way you want to take it um is there anything you're going to be focused on maybe the the final half of this season so i think one thing um the past couple of weeks we've been looking a lot at the secondary um looking a lot at what the rotations are going to be like especially with israel mukwamu getting back um the guy that mukwamu took the most snaps from um 
in the secondary was John Dixon this week. Um, so I th- I'm going to be interested to see that going forward to see how those guys kind of complement each other. Uh, but the other thing I'm looking at is the defensive line rotation. Um, very quietly, Tonke Hemingway has become the fourth defensive lineman. Um, he started the past two games, one of those in place of the injured Aaron, um, Aaron Sterling. But even when Sterling came back, uh, Hemingway started and had more snaps um, than any other defensive lineman other than the other three starters. Um, so I'm interested to see if they do some things to see if they can get Jordan Birch in there a little bit more, see if they can, um, I guess, give the pass rush some new life. Um, it started well in the season, just kind of gone downhill a little bit. So I'm definitely interested to see what South Carolina is going to do. If they're going to blitz more, what they're going to try to do to um, put more pressure on the passer, especially when you've got a guy like Kellen Mond, you know, coming up, um, you know, here in two weeks that throws the ball really well against no pressure and really struggles against pressure. Um, I'll just kind of be interested to see what the defensive staff kind of tweaks through the season to, to help with that. Good stuff, Will. Hey, man, we appreciate the time as always, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, okay, man? Absolutely, guys. All right, it's Will Helms. Check out all of his work uh, as well as all of our work on uh, GamecockCentral.com. Um, and, and I think it's an excellent point there at the end, Chris, if you sort of look at – this season going forward and what questions have to be answered for South Carolina. Um, not, not that I want to put too much stock into one game, but I think finding a way to continue as they did earlier in the year and do so more so than they did against LSU, get pressure on the quarterback either with four or just finding some, some different ways, you know, to, to do it, I think has to be a, a key uh, for South Carolina moving forward. It does. and But part of that is playing the run better. I mean, I I look at it when you take the totality. You know, we're looking big picture now. You know, and, and some of these things played out against LSU for sure. But looking big picture, the two things the defense struggled with the most, explosive plays, some of them through the air, some of them in the run game, and even just getting gashed here and there for, for eight yards, you know, eight-yard clips. I talk about those all the time, these eight-yard runs that we've seen really in every game this year from every team. Those and explosive plays, those have been the biggest issues. LSU faced 10, just to use that example because it's the most recent, they faced 10 third downs. Um, they converted eight of them. Terrible clip. You know, I mean, 80% third down conversions isn't getting it done, right? But one reason for that is a lot of LSU's downs and distances are very short. I think four of them were third and one. The odds, just playing odds, if you have a third and 10 versus a third and one, which one do you think is going to be easier for the offense to convert? Which one is going to convert at a higher clip? Obviously, it's third and one. And so when you're getting into third and one, third and three, third and four, it becomes a lot more difficult. You know, and, and then the chains keep moving. You have to call the game differently. You got to devote more people to the box. There's a lot of talk about blitzing. There's a lot of talk about bringing people down the box. South Carolina had a five men pressures, I think, 30 times in the game. They either didn't get home, or even when they brought them home on run blitzes, they were still getting knocked out of gaps. LSU was still running the ball effectively. And we've seen that in every game, even Vandy. So if they can't clean up, the issues in the run game, they're going to face some different style attacks. What Missouri is going to bring is going to be different than Georgia, but they've got to clean up the run issues or we're going to see 
some of these problems persist. It's going to become harder to to pressure the quarterback. It's going to be harder to get off the field. Your third down conversion rates that we saw at the beginning of the year that were some of the best in the country, top 10 in the country going into LSU, are going to fall more towards what we saw against LSU, right? So I think that those are the biggest issues defensively. Really number one, really number one for me, got to play the run better. It's something they were concerned about going into the LSU game, and it's it's been concerning in every game, even Vanderbilt, where it was masked somewhat. Yeah, and I think um, defensive line, I'll take it a step further, just defensive line play as a whole, I, I think um, has to be a, a good bit better. Um, it is interesting that Tonka has played more. I will say I, I, I think a at least a solid portion of that has been that um, obviously Sterling was out you know, truly out last week. And then from what I heard going into the LSU game, didn't really practice as much. Um, I actually was going into that game with the expectation that Sterling may be out again based on what I'd heard about practice time. And generally the way this staff and a lot of staffs operate is if you don't practice uh, a whole lot, you don't start even if you end up getting cleared uh, you know, to play in the game, which is obviously what happened with Sterling this past week. Tonka started, but then Sterling um, actually played a, a pretty good bit in the game. So we'll see. Uh, I see some people calling, uh, or at least one person calling for Pickens to play more. I think he played a pretty good bit. I don't have your snap count right in front of me. Played a pretty good bit. I think actually officially got the start on uh, on Saturday. I know he was out there early um, from what I saw. So I, I don't know what the answers are on the defensive line. But I do know it's it's got to get better overall. And it's yeah. got to get more consistent. If we're going to use our our word of the year, um, it's got to get more consistent. So we'll see. All right, uh, we teased it before, Chris. Um, let's go biggest. Let's see. We'll get four answers here. We'll go biggest surprise for both of us from a positive standpoint. Biggest surprise for both of us. From a negative standpoint, um, I actually have a feeling we're going to say the same thing on biggest surprise positively, but I'll let you go first. What's your biggest uh, surprise on that side of the th- of things? I mean, I think anybody who's watched this team at all would say Kevin Harris, right? I mean, figured he was going to be a good player. Um, even when, you know, even when Marshawn Lloyd went down, we, we talked about how this would probably be Harris's job. Going back to what Will said, the amount of long runs that Kevin Harris has broken. If we really want to get specific, you want to take it to a micro level. On a bigger level, how good Kevin Harris has been. The run game in general, Kevin Harris, really good. But to break it down, you know, like I said, micro level, the amount of long runs he's broken has been extremely surprising to me. And so obviously that's been a really good development for South Carolina had a lot of negative developments that they got to clean up, but that's been a really good one. And that's, you know, primary reason they've been in some games and a primary reason that they've been able to want, win the two that they have so far. Have Chris, have you looked at the PFF um, grades for the entire year so far? I had them up earlier. Yeah. You mean the individual ones for? Yes. 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 I um, was looking at those earlier. So the highest graded, and, and PFF, from what I understand, and I'm not near as tied into all the analytics as Will was. That's why we had him on. 
but it will reward you for consistent play. So if you grade it out, and so essentially when you when you first look at their grades on here, a lot of times you think, well, that that's kind of a low grade. But 60 is the baseline um, for what I understand about PFF. So you know, on any given play, if you were just out there and you did nothing wrong but nothing great, you would have got a 60 um, on that play. Uh, you get at if you do something well on a play, you get one point on that particular play. If you do something outstanding, you get two points, or you can lose a point or lose two points, and then it adds up over a game. But let's say you graded out as a 70, but you were 70 for all five games, you're going to get a boost in that you've consistently performed um, at an above average level with their grading system, as opposed to if you were an 80, then a 50, then a 75, then a 45, you know, and you were all over the place. So with that in mind, there's no surprise at all to me that the highest graded South Carolina player so far this year through five games is Kevin Harris. He has a 79.5 grade on offense and to me, still just has to he has to be the story of the season so far from a positive standpoint. Um yeah. because as much as we try to have our finger on the pulse of this team, on the pulse of this program, and as much as we hear stuff from inside the program, that doesn't mean you're always gonna get it right. And I think just as important for us to go back and say, Hey, we got that one right, we got that one wrong. With Kevin Harris. I didn't foresee – I thought he would be a solid middle-of-the-pack SEC running back who would run with power, would break some tackles, would for the most part sort of get what he had blocked for him. You see what I'm saying? Like he'd sort of hit the hole, whatever was there, he'd get it, maybe drag some tacklers. But I did not foresee the big plays right. from Kevin Harris. And to your point a second ago and to Will's point, it was it's it's proved now, man, it's not just a fluke eighty-eight yarder against Vandy. It's that he's able to do these things against um pretty much everybody. Not that you're gonna get a ninety yarder every week, but he's gonna break a I mean the, the Auburn play gets called back, but we all saw it a long run against LSU, which I don't care what LSU has looked like on defense. They have speed on, on defense. So, man, I mean, Kevin Harris, just hats off to him. I don't even know what else more we can say about him, but whatever we say, it's probably not enough to what he's meant for this offense to this point. So, so here's one more before we close out Kevin Harris portion of the show. I just looked because I was curious. I think, you know, Najee Harris from Alabama's probably one of the best backs in the country, or he is, not probably. Another that Gamecock fans are familiar with is Travis Etienne. He may be the best back in the country. If if you don't think he's the best, he's top five, right? I mean, he's incredibly dynamic. He's really, really good. His PFF grade for rushing only, Travis is really good in the pass game, and he's got a super high grade in the passing game. His PFF grade is 81.2 for just rushing. Kevin is 80.8. Mm-hmm. So he's point four. Whatever. No, I'm terrible at math. Yeah, point four points behind Travis Etienne, 
just in terms of running the ball production grade wise. Now, now PFF, you know, there's a variety of factors in a football game. PFFs also their grading, so it can be somewhat subjective. But that just shows you how good he as an individual has been, right? I mean, he, he's been really, really good this year, and he stacks up from a yardage production standpoint, grading standpoint against some of the best backs in the country. So for South Carolina, the rest of it has not matched, right? But Kevin Harris has been really good. Yeah, so he passes the analytics test. He passes the traditional um, statistics test, and he passes the eye test. So yeah. Yeah. when all, when all those things add up to the same thing, and and as Russ uh, very smartly points out, Najee Harris got to play Ole Miss's defense, and Kevin Harris hasn't gotten to play Ole Miss's defense yet. Najee with five touchdowns on the ground in that game, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, and uh, probably, I mean, you. The interesting thing is right now, what would Harris's total be if South Carolina didn't have some of the other issues against LSU, and they were able to sort of just stick to their offensive game plan and keep feeding him? You know, he got what he got against LSU on twelve carries. So who yeah. knows how it would have played out if you're sort of in the game and you're down by a score or two as opposed to playing catch-up uh, later in the game. Uh, the, the biggest thing keeping Harris from having an even bigger PFF grade is the pass blocking grade. He's mm-hmm. actually pretty good. I mean, we, we've seen him catch a lot of balls. Um, he's had a drop or two, but for the most part, he, he's been good in that area as well. It's been the pass blocking where he's obviously – trying to help out against the pass rush that has hurt his grade the most. Um, let, let's give a, since we both had the same answer, let's give a bonus, um, a bonus plus, like a, a plus check mark to Deshaun Fenwick, man. Because yeah. he's actually the second highest overall graded person on offense. And again, Deshaun is a guy that really hasn't been talked about within the program since he arrived, like some of these other guys. And when he has had an opportunity to step up, he has done it. And, you know, you want to talk about eye test, Chris, Deshaun looks to me like he is running more and more confidently as the season has gone on. I think his, his vision in turn has gotten better. He's fine. There's been some plays where he has found a crease when at the the first second and a half of the play, I'm like, there's nothing there. And then Deshaun has sort of has that, even though he's a bigger back, he sort of kind of gets skinny, cuts it upfield. And mm-hmm. to me, is sort of I don't really know quite how to explain his running style, but he's been a, a positive, you know, honorable mention. For, for best positive surprise for South Carolina. Yeah, he's definitely taken a step forward. Those two guys, I mean, talk about bright spots in a, in a season that has not gone, um, you know, as well as everybody hoped to this point. And there have been some surprises, negative and positive, which is what we're going over. You know, I think those two have definitely been a bright spot and been surprising in a positive way, I think, the way that both of those guys have played. So you got to credit to Sean for – becoming more consistent, making the most opportunities that he's gotten. Yep. By the way, um, 
Among starters on offense, Colin Hill, second highest grade um, among starters on offense this year, 71.2. So I don't know what that means to you. You might say, well, I don't think PFF grades mean anything. Feel that way, that's fine, but just just saying. All right, Chris, biggest surprise for you from a negative standpoint. Yeah, so I'll, I'll do what I did before on on a on a uh, big picture level. It's the defense. I think um, did not expect this to be, and I was trying to remember you know, sort of go back and remember how we set expectations for the defense before the season. And to be fair and transparent, thought it had a chance to be a pretty good unit. Um, Not one of the best in the country, not elite, pretty good. Don't think they've lived up to that so far. That's sort of the big picture answer. Um, There's a lot to unpack within that. It's easy to just say they stunk in this game or they stunk in this situation. So what I would point to on, you know, the smaller, the micro level is probably playing the run. You know, it's the two things I mentioned earlier, playing the run and explosive plays. But in most of the games that they've struggled in, um, I think it's been the run that has hurt them the most because it's gotten them in some unfavorable situations at times. They're giving up 4.3 yards a carry on average rushing. So that's not horrific by any means. It's not really, really good. I mean, the 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 league leaders, or not the league leaders, but the NCAA leaders, you know, in terms of yards per rush surrendered, um, you know, you're you're going to see a number that's a good bit smaller than that, right? But um, you know, four point three yards of carry is not terrible, but that's a number that's got to get better. I think even aside from that, that have they created some negative plays at times? Yeah, but I think too much work between the twenties and when you do that, you are relying on bogging down the red zone and you're relying on creating turnovers, which as Will told us earlier, it's very unpredictable. You can hope to get turnovers, you can practice it, but it's hard to say whether or not you're going to be presented with those opportunities or semi-variables. So I would say just big picture, defense. I think that's been the most disappointing thing. Yeah, and God, I mean, I guess it doesn't make for very good uh, show, but I mean, I have to agree. I think when – to me, the you know, the, the receivers and the, the passing game, some of the stuff there is still a big issue. But as far as expectations, what yeah. we talked about it literally um, – the hours we talked about the receiving core prior to the season. I don't even want to think about what that number would be. Yeah. Um, which is why it's so funny that somebody accused us on our message board – of over overhyping the wide receivers this year. Um, and I'm like, dude, we literally have told have said from the entire offseason that was the single biggest worry on this team. So it that matches up with the expectations, I think. And in some ways, you know, I mean Shai Smith, I thought L, you know, going back to that game, man, LSU did a really good job of sort of keeping Shai Smith from being the guy to to beat him. Yep. And so but for the most part, Shy has been, I would say, better than than I expected this year. Yeah, uh, you know, we'll we'll see if Jalen Brooks can can come on and get comfortable and, and make some plays for him and and maybe improve that part. 
So other than repeating what you already just said on defense, uh, Brandon Langford here on YouTube, he says pass protection on offense. And I, I think I would tend to agree with that. Yeah. For the most part, the the run blocking has been, I would say, really good at times and exceptional at others. You know, that that's one area. You're, you're never going to just have 100% success running the football. You know, you kind of have to pound away, pound away, pound away. And they've done that on offense, and then they've had some really big run plays on, on offense. So you you got to give them credit there as far as the running game. But I, I do think pass protection. Now, how, how, how many of the pass plays where they've given up sacks have been on the quarterback? How many have been on the offensive line? How many have been a combination? You know, if, if the, if the line, you know, holds just a little bit longer or if, uh, you know, he'll gets the ball out just a little bit quicker. It's just a combination of both things. Uh, it's not always like a black and white thing, but certainly O-line pass pro, I personally thought um, was going to be in a little bit better spot. But, but for me, man, it's all of those things. There's like a gap. And for me, it's just overall defensive play. Mm-hmm. Um, in that I thought the coverage would be tighter and I thought they'd, they'd stop the run a little bit better than they have. And, and like you said, I mean, it, it's sort of when, – when you see it play out and you say, how did South Carolina lose 52-24 to 24 to LSU? I understand how people would say, well, that, you know, that means they're not a consistent football team. But if you dive down into it, the difference defensively between the previous game and the LSU game was that uh, Auburn went away from the running game at times when they probably shouldn't have. LSU continued to run the football on early downs and put their quarterback in good positions. And then Auburn, because they were throwing the ball a little bit more, and South Carolina then used those opportunities to get a little more pressure on Bo Nix, um, because some, you know, he he forced some of those balls because he's getting pressured, and then you do have the big game changing um, turnovers. You do you force a field goal on Auburn's second to last drive, um, as opposed to giving up the touchdown, to where maybe they're driving down there, um, you know, for a chance to to tie with just a field goal. So if all the yardage in between the 20s is the same, some days you're going to say, oh, it's a good defensive effort because they kicked four field goals. Or they score touchdowns in three of those four possessions and you get your butt beat because South Carolina is not a team that's going to be designed to probably come back once they're down by a lot anyway. Yeah. So the the final score looks very different. How you got there may, maybe isn't all that different. So, uh, But th- that's a scary thing, though, because you're relying on that week in, week out, week in, week out, and you need, you need more three and outs. You need more true punts um, where you're actually forcing a punt and getting the ball in decent field position. I think. 
Yeah, I mean, it affects field position. It affects, obviously, if you get people in the red zone, if you allow somebody to get in the red zone, then it becomes, let's hold them to the field goal. Ideally, you're not in that position, you know. Um, so red zone defense is extremely important, but when you're allowing people to go up and down the field between the 20s, which we saw some, even against Vanderbilt, we saw them get to the red zone and get forward on fourth and three. South Carolina made a great play. They did not allow it. They took over. But, you know, we, we've seen we've seen this in games. Um, against Auburn, the difference was, as you pointed out, Wes, turnovers in that game, holding them to field goals. That They're able to clamp down and do that. But you are relying on something that's more difficult, you know. Um, and so, especially if a team can run the ball in the red zone, then then you're in trouble. So, um, whether it's, you know, it's a field position thing, if they don't score, um, when you're, when you're relying on people to go between the 20s. I mean, we, we saw that in 2017. South Carolina is really good at creating turnovers. I mean, whatever combination of factors that you attribute it to, teams still move the ball a good bit. But there are a couple things there. One of them is – you know, the schedule probably wasn't as difficult that year. Um, South Carolina did get some turnovers. They did have some good fortune and created some things in the red zone for themselves um, that were a positive to where they limited the damage somewhat. They weren't very good offensively that year. They did enough. They were able to win nine games at the end of the day because they clamped down and they got a lot of turnovers defensively. In the absence of that, if you're letting people march up and down the field, you're going to have a tough time. So, you're exactly right. Got to get better in terms of just forcing some more three and outs and, and playing the run a lot better. Yep. All right, y'all. So that, that's our hour mark. Um, sorry, RJ, you're getting here uh, right when we're ending. Uh, go back. If you're if you're joining us late, go back, and uh, it'll be archived on YouTube.com slash Gamecock Central. Or if you just want to listen, um, I'll have it uploaded probably within the hour and uh, usually faster than that. It just depends on how quickly, like, Apple actually puts it out there and, and stuff like that. But it'll be out there soon. Um, you can go back and listen to it or watch it. Um, we're going to have some guests later on this week. Like I said, uh, we'll probably have Kimry on at some point, Perry Orth on at some point. Um, we we, we got to get a different position than a quarterback for the other guests. So we're going we're gonna to work on that. Not sure exactly what days all those will be, but um, we'll be back on. Appreciate everybody, as always. Um, I know Saturday sucked for all of y'all, so I <laughs> uh, appreciate everybody hanging in there, still talking some ball with us. And, uh, you know, we'll get through the bye week, and then we'll turn turn the page to Texas A&M. For Chris, I'm Wes, and we'll see all of you tomorrow. See ya. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 